Well, good morning, LifePoint. It is great to be with you today. Uh, I'm thankful for Chris Wazowski, who was able to teach last week. It gave um, my wife Kelly and I and my boys a chance to go down to Greenville, South Carolina, and visit uh, with some family. My niece graduated from from high school, so we got to go celebrate uh, that with, with them. Uh, if you are new to LifePoint, uh, my name is Corey. I serve as the teaching pastor here at our, our Plain City campus. And just to let you know a little bit about ourselves, we are one church across multiple campuses, and we seek to, to draw life from God and point others to him. And so if you're new today, again, I just want to let you know there's some resources available to you as we begin this morning, and you can access those resources by heading to lpguest.com in your web browser of your phone. That's lpguest.com, or you can scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you this morning. That will take you to to message notes and events and and a handful of other things that will be useful for you. But today we are beginning a brand new series called Under the Sun, and we are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's in the Old Testament, and and I want to invite you right now. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, or you got your Bible app, go ahead and find Ecclesiastes. You're going you're gonna to see that it goes Psalms, and then Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. As you're making your, your way there, um, I was thinking about today and kind of where we're headed and just uh, the overall kind of view of Ecclesiastes, and it reminded me of something that happened with our, our family here in the, in the past couple months. We were getting ready to sit down and to watch a, a movie, and this movie was the, the third of a trilogy that we were getting ready to watch, and, and it was part of a greater story arc with multiple other movies, and so we had enjoyed the previous two in, in this series. We were looking forward to this, this third installment of the movie, and so we get all in our living room. The family settles in. We get popcorn. We get snacks, all that good stuff, right? We turn the lights down and we hit play on the movie and two and a half hours later when we're finished my oldest son summed up how we all felt after watching this movie remind you this is what we were looking forward to and he just says right the first things that come out of anybody's mouth after the movie's done he goes well I'm not getting those hours of my life back right and then he proceeds to say that was complete dog water, which is teenager for that's terrible, right? So just, I'm like, okay, that's, that's what that means, okay? So we've all been there at some point though, haven't we, right? Where we've invested our time and our energy in, in something. Maybe it was just a movie, but, but maybe it was something more. Maybe it was a relationship, or, or maybe it was an event or a project or even a, a trip. And when it was all said and done, we're like, oh my gosh, that was a complete waste of my time, a complete waste of my, my energy, or maybe a waste of our money, or a waste, waste of your breath. And what do we say? Man, that was, that was kind of meaningless, right? Well, we say that because at our core, we don't like wasting our time, our energy, and our resources. Whether we know it or realize it or not, we want to invest in what truly matters. We want to invest in that which lasts and has meaning and, and has purpose in our lives. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is written to help us do just that. It's going to help us to make our lives count. Our lives matter. Our lives have meaning. Our lives have have purpose. Because wouldn't it be a tragedy to get to a point in your life or even the end of your life 
to look back on it and go, I missed it. I wasted it. I invested in the wrong things. I'm unsatisfied with where I've spent all my time and and energy and resources to sit and say, well, I'm not getting those years back. Now, here's how the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us with that, right? It's written by Solomon, who was the son of King David, the man after God's own heart. And God tells Solomon, hey, you can ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, right? So God and Solomon kind of have that genie in the bottle moment that we've all kind of fantasized about or talked about, right? God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one wish, so to speak, right? And God says, I'll answer it. Now, what's neat is Solomon kind of runs through all the things he could do, right? But he says, you know what? I'm not going to ask for money. I'm not going to ask for power. I'm not going to ask for, for long life or any of that stuff. He goes, you know what I'm going to ask for? I'm going to ask for wisdom. I'm going to ask for wisdom. So Solomon asked for, for wisdom, and in doing so, God is so impressed that he asked for wisdom and not these other things. God says, not only am I going to give you the wisdom that you asked for, but I'm also going to give you all those other things. I'm going to give you long life, and I'm going to give you influence, and I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you money. So Solomon, as we're reading through Ecclesiastes, we need to realize that Solomon has everything the world has to offer. He's got knowledge, he's got understanding, he's got fame, he's got money, he's got power, he's got influence, he's, he's got it all. Which means Solomon had the ability to go and do and acquire, even indulge in whatever he wanted. And so Ecclesiastes is this search from Solomon and his findings for ultimate meaning and purpose and promise and, and satisfaction in the things of this world. It's the, hey, if you could do whatever you wanted to do and money was no object and there was no red tape and there was no obstacles, just go and do it. Ecclesiastes is that book. And it's valuable to us because what Solomon does is he documents and reports back his findings as he goes out and does all these things. Now, Solomon's gonna come as we work through this book to specific conclusions over and over again. But just spoiler alert right up front here in week one, after experiencing everything this world has to offer, Solomon comes to one ultimate conclusion, and I want to share it with you, and it's this. It comes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Solomon says, the end of the matter. In other words, here's my conclusion. Here's what I've come to. He says, all has been heard. In other words, I've done it all, seen it all, tried it all. He says, here's my conclusion. Fear God. Keep God's commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He says, why is this important for us? He says, because God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. What Solomon's saying here in Ecclesiastes 12 is, hey, in my search for satisfaction and meaning and purpose and contentment in life, in this world, I've done it all. I've got the success. I've got the power. I've got, you know, he's got thousands of wives. He's got, you know, sex, all that stuff that the world tells you need to have. He's got approval from everyone. Folks were coming from across countries to come and get his wisdom. And he says, here's my final conclusion with all that stuff in the palm of my hand. He says, they're a black hole of emptiness that does not last. He says, chasing after these things will not bring you purpose and contentment. He says, what will? He says, knowing God, following God, 
doing what God asks you to do. He says that's where you're going to find true meaning and true satisfaction and true fulfillment and true purpose. So we've kind of taken Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and we've summed it up and made it our big idea for this series. I know, long introduction, but we needed to get there today. And it, it's this, that God offers us a full life in an empty world. God offers us a full life in an empty world. And you might be thinking, well, man, didn't you just ruin the ending of the book for us? I thought, as we began this series, that we needed to begin with the end in mind. That we need to begin with the end in mind. I thought that was important for us because as you're going to see in just a bit, as we trek through Ecclesiastes at times, it's going to get pretty bleak. It's going to get pretty dark. Almost depressing. Right? You're going to be like, Solomon, goodness gracious, is there, is there anything else you can share with us? But when those moments come, we're going to need to come back to Solomon's ultimate conclusion because it's going to keep our bearings straight. So we had to begin with the end in mind today, but we're going to need to come back to his ultimate conclusion time and time again. Case in point, let's just listen and start to dive in to chapter one and verse one. It says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, that's a Solomon identifying himself for us. He says in verse two, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. He says, all is vanity. It says, what does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? Here Solomon starts Ecclesiastes, right? And he's got some years under his belt now. He's been a dad. He's been a husband. He has, he's been a king. And he kicks things off by saying four times, right, in, in verse 2, vanity. Vanity of vanities, he says. And this word vanity means this. It means useless it means meaningless, it means emptiness, it's that which vanishes and leaves nothing behind. It's that which has no significance or no value. And he's going to use this word vanity up to 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And then in verse 3, he kind of gives us a rhetorical question there, which he's already answered in verse 2. So, The book of Ecclesiastes starts with Solomon looking at everything on this earth, everything under the sun, as he puts it. And he says, it's nothing. It's emptiness. It's it's meaningless. And he says, he doesn't just say there's some things. He doesn't categorize things. Notice he says, all. He says, all is vanity. Right? Which means we can go, food? Solomon said, yes, vanity. Our savings account? Our clothes? What about our relationships? What about all of my kids' sports and all that they do? He would say, it's all vanity, right? Told you we needed to start with the the end in mind. You see why we had to do that? He doesn't list any exceptions here for us. But I think what Solomon touches on in these opening verses is, is so important for you and I today because let's just be honest. We live in a world, right, that says our approval and our meaning comes from, comes from, right, influence and success and money, the things under the sun. We're told, hey, if you want meaning, if you want purpose, if you want satisfaction and contentment in your life, buy this, do this, be like this, act like this, dress like this, talk like this, identify with this, achieve this, follow or like this. And so we chase after the car, the house, the relationships, the finances, or the job, or the influence, 
or the GPA or the success in sports, whatever that thing might be for you, right? We are made to believe that we have to have those things, that if I get those things, then I'll be content. If I get those things, then I'll be satisfied. If I get to to that place or that stature, then I'll find purpose, then I'll have meaning. So what do we do, right? Again, let's just be honest with ourselves. What do we do? We overextend ourselves. We overworry. We overspend. We overschedule. We overpromise. We overindulge. We overcommit. We overdo it. Chasing after everything under the sun to do what? To reach a finish line of contentment, a finish line of, of satisfaction, a finish line of meaning or, or purpose in our lives. But you know what Solomon's going to tell us over and over again throughout this book? It's what we already know. That the things of this world, when it comes to chasing after the things of this world to find meaning and purpose, there is no finish line. It's an illusion. You're going to get right there at the finish line with the things of this world, and then it's just going to move a little bit further back. Every time you think you're going to get there, it's just going to move a little bit further back with the things of this world, right? Because for some of you, right, you've already got it. Some of us in the room, you've already got it, or you will get it, or you're close to getting it. The money, the approval, the influence, the success, And you know, since you've kind of tasted it, right, it feels good for for a moment. There's a little bit of satisfaction. There's a little bit of contentment. But then all of a sudden, it begins to fade away. It's gone. What you've experienced is, oh, man, the finish line just moved on me. And so what do we do? I'm going to chase that finish line again. I'm going to search again to see what can get me there. For others of us, right, some of us, it seems like life, we just get so close but we can't get what we're striving for the way I think about it is it's like one of those machines with the giant claw in it and all the toys or the stuffed animals in, in in the bottom of it right and we run over and we put our 50 cents in and we move the claw right over the toy that we think we can grab and we're like I got it I got it I got it right and, and they've at, made it more stressful than when I grew up because you used to be able to had all the time in the world now they put a clock next to it like and you just feel like 10 9 oh man I got to line it up and you hit the red button and that claw goes down you're like I got it right over what you wanted and then it begins to pull up and what does it do it slips right up off that toy and what do you do oh can I have another 50 cents I got to put another 50 cents I got to try it again I was so close right that describes life for for some of us the pursuit of things Solomon continues in verse 4 and he says a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. It says the sun rises and the sun goes down and it, it hastens to the place where it rises again. It says the wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. It says all of the streams run into the sea, but the sea's not full to the place where the streams flow. They flow there again. In these verses, Solomon kind of shifts his viewed to kind of one that's a little more scientific and he looks at the the sun and he looks at the wind and he looks at the the water and he says wow I'm looking at all of that and I'm looking at us I'm looking at at people and he says what generations come and go people come and go but the sun's still there the wind still blows the water still flows back to where it came from what Solomon's recognizing is hey that even though there was change all around him and looking at nature nothing really changed he goes on in verse 8, and what he's about to say, I think, is, is, is 
very telling for us as a society, but I want to give these next verses to you in in the New Living Translation because I really think it speaks a little more plainly and connects at least with how I, I think, so I want to share this version with you. Solomon says, everything is wearisome beyond description. He says, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. He says, no matter how much we hear, we are not content. Verse 9, he says, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but it's actually old. Nothing is ever truly new. He says, we don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, they're not going to remember what we are doing right now. Again, Solomon tells us what we already know, but what we don't like to hear. It's that we're never satisfied. We lack contentment. We always want more. We don't like to hear it, but I do think this describes us to a a T, right? It's, hey, I've had this experience, but I need a new one because that experience has worn itself off. So I need, I need a new one. Hey, I just wanted this much money, but you know, when you get this much money, it's like, ah, now if I could just have this much money, but then now if we can have just this much money, if I could just make this much money that it keeps growing, we're never content, never satisfied. We even have it like with social media, right? We've scrolled through 100 posts and we're like, yeah, maybe just 20 more, right? We're just never satisfied. Those 100 weren't, weren't enough. We have this discussion in our, our household. My son is like, hey, man, I need new Nike Air Force Ones, right? Right? I see you down there, right? Our Wanger family. I know they're shoe family, right? And I'm like, he's like, I need a new pair, right? I'm like, why? He goes, because the old ones are just, well, they're old, right? I'm like, are they broken? Is there something wrong? He's like, no, but the new ones are out, right? This happens to us all the time, right? How are we marketed to, hey, I've got my phone. I don't even know how to work all the features in my phone, but the new 13.8.2.1 version is out, and now it's in yellow, and I've got to have it because it's in yellow. My wife Kelly and I, we've had this discussion here lately. We're like, ah, I think it's time, like, we need to change our, our countertops in our kitchen, that would, that would satisfy us in our kitchen. But do you know where that conversation goes? You know if you've got a home, well, if we're doing the countertops, then we should just do the cabinets. Well, if we're going to do the cabinets, well, then we might as well just do the backsplash. And if we're going to do the backsplash, we just might as well tear up the whole floor. Let's just, let's just do this whole thing, right? It just kind of speaks to, at times, we're never satisfied or content. It's just kind of that mentality of, if I just had a few more or a little bit more. Solomon says we're never satisfied, we're, we're never content. And then he says, hey, you know what? We think, we think that, that contentment will come by finding the next new thing, the next new idea, the next new invention, the next new thinking. But Solomon says like in those verses, hey, nothing's new under the sun. It's all been done before. He's saying the more things change, the more they, they stay the same. I like how H.A. Ironside puts it regarding the scripture here. He says, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. I really, I really like that. Remember, as Solomon's speaking to us here, he didn't miss out on anything in life, right? Let's not forget that. Right, verse 13, he tells us he, he sought all that was done under the heavens. Right, again, every material thing, every experience, every pleasure. And then he reiterates in verse 14, like, hey, I've seen everything. And behold, he says, it's, it's all vanity. He comes back to that. He says, it's all striving or, or chasing after the wind. 
And so to cover his bases, he kind of moves on from some of the experiential or material things. And then what he says in in verse 17, he kind of speaks to our mind. He says in verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom. I applied it to know madness. And I applied it to know, know folly. And he says, this was also striving after or chasing after the winds. In other words, he's saying like, man, it wasn't, I didn't find meaning and contentment in higher thinking or a certain mental state or my, my GED or GPA or PhD. He says, I also didn't find it in making mad or rash decisions or foolish thinking. He said, I didn't find it in folly, which is just kind of like, I'm just going to do what feels good, right? That's, that's a one that's, that describes our world today. Just do what feels good. Solomon says, this is all the same. It's chasing after the wind too. What I want us to get to see kind of as we kick off this series this morning is Solomon has been there and done that and he's done it better than you and I have. He's done it with more money than you and I have. He's done it with more power than you and I have. He's done it with more influence than you and I have. And he says, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's all empty. So what are we to do? What are we to do today? Right? Because let's just be honest. Solomon, his view on life here as we begin Ecclesiastes, the wisest person who ever lived, his take on earthly living, his take on life under the sun just kind of comes across lifeless, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to make sense. Why does he write this way? Why is he so pessimistic, especially with a guy who's got a relationship with God? Why does he do that? Unless, unless, unless he's got something more for us. Unless he's trying to show us something. Unless he's trying to teach us something, to to tell us that there's something more. And because we began with the end in mind that God offers us a full life and an empty world, it's to know God and and to follow his commandments, right? We know that Solomon is trying to show us something in the way that he writes. That there is a purpose and a plan to his writing. And what he's trying to show us is that there is a, a futility and a vanity and an absurdity in approaching life from a purely human perspective, He's trying to show us that there's a futility, an emptiness, a meaninglessness, that's even a word, right, of approaching life under the sun through the eyes of a person who thinks and lives as if God does not matter. So he writes this way to you and I today, not to bring us down, rather to paint this picture that exposes inadequate thinking That it exposes meaningless living on our own outside of a relationship with God. So Solomon fills the pages of Ecclesiastes with what we might call true lies. Here's what I mean by that. If if someone's going to have the perspective that God does not matter, then it's true. All is vanity. That you are meaningless. That life doesn't go anywhere, that you die, and that's it. However, since that perspective is wrong and God does matter, it's not true that all is vanity. 
See, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, skipping a few chapters ahead again. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he says, God has put eternity into man's heart. I think this is so important for us. I think this is kind of the linchpin verse, the key verse in the things that Solomon explains to us. Not only is there beauty in this life, but we put in our our notes today that God has put eternity in the hearts of humans. God has put eternity in the hearts of humans, every human, all humans. And I think that's important for us to get and to realize because this means and this explains why everyone is searching for something. Why they're running after at times things under the sun, the money, the power, the, the influence, the stuff. Because what they're doing, whether they know it or not, they're searching for the eternal. Solomon's trying to show us over and over again that we can't go searching for the eternal in the temporal. That we can't go searching for that which is eternal in the temporary things. That if we go searching for that which is eternal with stuff under the sun, Solomon says it's never going to be enough for us. We're always going to want more. We'll never find meaning. We'll never find purpose or satisfaction in the things of this world because we're looking for the eternal in that which is temporary. The things that are, are vanishing in the wind, he says. So the question for us as we leave, what's eternal? And where do we find it? Are you ready for the big reveal and the big answer to this of what's eternal and where do we find it? It is the classic Sunday school answer that you give when you don't know the answer to anything else. Here it is, the eternal, Jesus, right? Every youth group leader, every student ministry person, every kids ministry person, you know, you, you, we've all been there, right? You ask the big question and somebody just goes, Jesus, right? That's the answer today. That whether we realize it or not, Jesus is eternal, and he's what we're ultimately looking for. He's what people, he is who people are ultimately looking for. And you say, well, how can you say Jesus is eternal? Where do you get that? Colossians 1.17 says that Jesus is before all things, he's in all things, and he holds all things together. Right? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 1.17, Jesus says, fear not, I am the first and I am the last. John 3.16, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 6.47, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus, whoever believes has eternal life. He was speaking of himself. We know the end of John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. He is our eternal life, which is why, right, Jesus, if he is that, which is why Jesus is the only one who can not only say, but actually offer to you and I that I came to give life and life abundantly, which means all the searching we do and people do, all the looking, all the answers, they're found in Jesus, the eternal is found in him and him alone. Which means this, for some of us sitting in the room today, right, it's time to take the first step towards the eternal, to believe in and receive Jesus Christ into your life today. Because maybe you've been living life just like Solomon has described, right? Today, you're sitting here going, I've been chasing after everything under the sun, 
all of the stuff, all of the things to fill this hole in my life. And you've experienced the truth of what Solomon is saying, that it's all vanity, that nothing's filling that hole up, that the finish line keeps moving, that things just seem temporary, that you're chasing after the wind, and that you're just never satisfied. If that's you today, maybe today it's stop looking at everything under the sun and begin looking to the sun Jesus Christ. Look into him for forgiveness of your sins, for a new life. Look into Jesus for satisfaction. Look into him for purpose in your life, meaning in your life. In him you will find eternal life. And if that's you today, God has not made that decision complex at all. All it requires of you is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you could not that he died on the cross for your sins and that three days later he rose from the grave and all you need to do is just ask him just to believe that and confess, come into my heart, Jesus. Come into my life. I wanna follow after you this day forward. That might be the first step towards the eternal for someone today. For others in this room, many of the Christians and the Christ followers sitting in this room, if that's how you are today, And say, like, I I do, I follow after Jesus. I would say for many of us, it's time to make a shift. It's, It's to make a shift to have an eternal mindset with temporal feet. To begin to look at our lives and to begin to have an eternal mindset with temporal feet. To stop living and focusing on the things under the sun, the temporary things, and to begin focusing on that which is eternal. It's a great reminder for us as Christ followers that there's intentionality to who you are and where you are and when you are, that God has you here on purpose. So the questions for us is what will it take for you and me to begin to have this eternal mindset with temporal feet? That's that's every old person, young person, in between, every stage of life. Whether you're in school, out of school, working, in a trade, in an office, it doesn't matter. We begin to ask ourselves questions to have an eternal mindset. What am I investing in? What is my focus on? What needs to change for me to shift towards an eternal perspective in, in my life? Am I holding on to something, unwilling to give something up, Well, then I need to ask, is it eternal? It's asking ourselves, how do I need to better weigh out my time for things that will truly last? Do I need to shift my my energy towards something that will truly matter? Maybe I need to get involved in something that, that is eternally focused rather than temporal focused. Asking ourselves the questions, how can I begin to leverage everything that's been given to me under the sun for that which is beyond the sun? A couple things to think about in this area then, right? Your relationships. How do you begin to to leverage your relationships for that which is eternal? Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Maybe you need to think about how to leverage your your home. And And I say home You don't have to be a homeowner. You can have a one-bedroom apartment. It could be your dorm room if you're in in college, right? How do you begin to leverage it for the eternal? Right? I remember when Kelly and I first got married, this little one-bedroom apartment, we packed as many people in a life group as we possibly could. 
so we could influence them and, and, and lead them to know more about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, show hospitality wherever you call home and use it to serve the needs of others. The last two are the toughest examples for us. Our money and our time, the things we love to hold on to the most and value the most in our lives, right? How do we begin to leverage our time for the eternal, or our, our time for the eternal? Because only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How do we begin to leverage our, our finances? It's the only place in the Bible we see God say, put me to the test, see if you can outgive me, see if you can outbless me. What if we begin to leverage all that's been given to us to point others to the eternal instead of the temporary, to point them towards Jesus today? Solomon is going to continue to show us over and over again how to make our lives count, to not waste our lives, that God offers us a full life in an empty world, that Jesus gives us life and, and life abundantly. But that will only come for us when we no longer focus on the vanity of the things under the sun and begin to focus on Jesus Christ, the Son. Then and only then will we find complete and eternal fulfillment. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that you have given us. Lord, um, your word is true and it cuts to the heart and it's convicting. And sometimes it's, it's tough for us because it exposes and it examines who we are and how we're using our, our life and our time and our resources. And so today, God, I, I pray that you would you would take your word and do as you say, that it will not return void. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just convict us and show us where we need to change. That you would bring truth to mind where we need, to, we need truth. Lord, did you bring remembrance where we need remembrance? And God, we would begin to see how you have us where you have us on purpose in our neighborhood, at our school, in our apartment, in our home. That you've allowed us to be alive right here, right now, at this point in, in history and in time to leverage all that we have for that which is eternal. So give us the eyes that we need to have. Give us the hearts that we need to have. And may we truly draw life from you and point others to you at the same time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.